Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Um, Well, listen, we are here today, and um, I love that we got to worship a little differently. Um, I found that incredibly impactful for me. Um, Mark and I, if if you're new to us or visiting today, Mark and I just finished up a four-week sermon series off of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which talked about the things that we leave behind. And again, the premise is that we are all running a race with Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, and there are heavy weights that want to attach themselves to us. There are things that want to slow us down. There are things in life that want to be obstacles and either stop us from running this race for Jesus or slow that race down to a crawl. And um, I I know some of you were blessed by it. I hope everyone was. I'll tell you this, though. Um, As one of the two preaching pastors of that series, I was incredibly impacted by it. Um, There there were lessons that I've learned in my preparation, um, hearing Mark's two great sermons. Um, They really challenged and encouraged me. Uh, There were lessons that I plan on never forgetting and never forsaking from that series. And what we're doing now is today we're transitioning to not a four-week series, but an eight-week series, Uh, and it's going to take us right up to Palm Sunday. Um, It is called BC Squared, so these are biblical characters before Christ. So if you hadn't figured it out, we are going to be just kind of going old school in the Old Testament with some life and legacies of, uh, of, of principal people in the Old Testament. We're doing this for a couple of reasons. One is that too often in churches today, we don't spend enough time in the Old Testament. It is rich. And in case you've never made this connection, the Old Testament is full of Jesus Christ. Even before he comes, we learn who he is. We learn what he'll do. We begin to get a hold of his promises and his salvation. So we're going to dive into it with some folks you've heard of, some folks you may never have heard of in the Old Testament. And I'm going to start it off today with a person and a book. Okay, so this is a book named after a person. Um, You have heard of this person before, but I will tell you that in the church, this book and this person don't get a lot of airtime. okay? You may get a, a reference every now and then to them, but, but rarely will you hear this book preached. So what is the book? It is the book of Amos, all about the life and the times and the ministry of Amos. Um, some of you, though, who have studied Amos, when you heard the name, you went, uh-oh, he just said Amos. Amos is a book, admittedly, that is strong, okay? It is a heavy book. There are some very, very strong themes to it, but I've got really good news for you. And the good news is, today, you are going to leave encouraged. You you will leave challenged now, okay? But you're going to leave encouraged. So let me read you a snippet from the end of Amos, chapter 9, verses 13 through 15. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. 
I will plant Israel in their land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for the promise of this passage. Father, we thank you that your heart is to bless your people. Father, you have a a life of abundance for us, uh, a, a life in which we not only survive, but we thrive as the people of God. And Lord, surviving or, or thriving as the people of God is not all about us being set up to have a perfect, easy life. Lord, it is about us impacting the world around us. It is about us taking this good news of Jesus Christ to people who have not yet heard, who have not yet even considered him. So Father, we open our hearts today. Lord, we open up our ears and we say, Holy Spirit, teach us. Even, even as we hear some hard things, oh, Father God, may we be encouraged. And God, may we never underestimate the positive impact of a negative example. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me give you a little bit of historical backdrop because Amos is best understood when you understand what is happening in, in, in the land at that time. Uh, This is an extremely unique time in Scripture because it is one of the only times in the Old Testament when the Israelites are prosperous. You should let that sit in for a minute because you hear a whole lot of woe and suffering and agony, but this is one of the times when Israel is actually doing really, really well. Economically, Most Israelites, but the nation in general, they are on easy street, okay? Money is flowing, trade is happening, so economically it's a great time. Geographically in Israel, there's actually some land expansion going on. We think of them being landlocked, bordered in. There's actually some land expansion. Politically, it's a unique time for the Israelites because they are not under any other nation's thumb. So this is one time when there's not some outside dictator uh, who's ruling over them. And even in the temple, things are thriving. So religion is booming that there's just a great spiritual enemy or energy. So it's one of the only times that Israel is prosperous and it's peaceful. So the Israelites are sitting back, okay, during this time that after all this, all this journey, all this suffering, finally, we're on easy street. Okay, the future's so bright, we got to wear shades. That's how they're feeling. And I know this is ancient Israel, so don't blink, okay? Enjoy it while you got it, people. So that, that's the backdrop of Israel. Now let's go to Amos. And when I say Amos, I don't mean the book. I mean the man for just a minute. Um, Amos lived in the 8th century B.C. His ministry years are between 786 B.C., through 746 B.C. So so he's ministering and living about 800 years before Jesus Christ. Now, Amos is from a land uh, uh, called Tekoa. This is a village, kind of a valley, that's about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. And, And Amos, just so you know, before God calls him, he is bivocational, okay? So that means he's got two jobs. One is he's a shepherd, And the other one is that he is a dresser of sycamore trees. I think y'all know what a shepherd is, right? Right, he works with sheep. What in the world is a dresser of sycamore trees? Because y'all can go to LinkedIn or anywhere else and you will never find this job posted. So it's really simple. A dresser of sycamore trees, Amos is the guy who puts them in business casual, formal. No, he doesn't do that. No, he, he simply cares for trees, right? 
He tends them, he prunes them, he keeps insects away from them. So Amos, just so you know, what that means is that this is not a man who fits a lot of the typical religious mold, all right? He's not a bookworm. He is not some, some uh, soft, simple, religious, robed kind of guy. Amos comes into this, and he is more like a rancher and a farmer rolled into one, all right? So he's a rugged man of the earth. And, uh, but, but still, we have to stop and ask the question, then how in, why in the world are you preaching about this man? I mean, if that's who he is, there's got to be more to Amos than trees and sheep, and there is. Amos's name in Hebrew, it means a burden or to carry. And most of us know about Hebrew Old Testament names. Uh, their meaning is prophetic, okay? They point to a spiritual destiny. And so Amos comes in when God calls him, and he steps up as a prophet. Here is a man who will speak directly to people on God's behalf. And by the way, we get that from chapter one, verse one. Let me read this to you. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Isaiah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of, of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. Now, if we stop there, we already have a big question. What in the world is God roaring and thundering about? And just from those two words, from the word roar and the word thunder, you can go ahead and guess that what God is about to talk to people about is not puppy dogs and ice cream and rainbows. It is not the amazing world of gumball, nothing like that. So God begins, and his words are actually words of judgment. Now, the judgment that God levies in the very beginning, chapters one and two, they're actually against the nations that are surrounding Israel, okay? So here you got Israel. This message is for all the neighbors that border Israel. So we're talking about Damascus, Gaza, Ashdod, Philista, uh, Ekron, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Rabbah. Do not feel bad if you don't know any of those names, okay? These faded into the backdrop of history a long time ago. And so God speaks to them a word of judgment. And just so you know, God is not rebuking them because he woke up on the wrong side of the cloud, okay? God didn't get up and he's having a bad day and he just takes it out on everybody who is not his children, God is speaking judgment against these nations because they have been up to no good, literally nothing good. So let me give you the lowlights. Let me tell you what's going on here. And no, I didn't mean highlights. I mean lowlights. Listen to what these nations have been up to. Great cruelty, slave trading whole people groups. And you gotta understand by slave trading whole people groups, you're talking about wiping out future generations, excessive corruption, violence, showing no mercy, not only to the people they're pursuing, but even to their own kind. We read in Amos that, that some of them are even pursuing their own brother with the sword, shedding blood everywhere around the Middle East. 
uh, as they expand their empires. And, and, and these nations are so corrupt, okay? They're so defiled that as they are entering into other nations, they are even defiling the graves of the dead in, the, in their, their, their conquest, in, 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 you know, in, in uh, just establishing their empires. And so God steps in and he speaks to these other nations. These are nations who don't know him, nations who don't worship him. And, and, and God steps in and he essentially has two things to say to these neighbors of Israel. Number one, God comes and he reveals himself to them, saying, look, I am the one who made this world, but I not only made this world, I rule over everything in this world. Whether you worship me or not, there is one God who rules over everything. Uh, Amos 4.13, he who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, who reveals the thoughts to mankind, who turns uh, dawn into darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord Almighty is his name. So God is announcing himself to them. But then there's, there's a second message that comes out to these nations, and it's not only do I rule, but I also judge. I am also the judge of this world. And there is a day of reckoning and judgment coming, and your time is now. And I know we can hear that and still kind of feel like, hey, God, you know, that, that, that still seems a little unfair. It still seems a little harsh. I mean, these are people outside of relationship with you, and, and here you are about to judge them. But first, again, stop and think about it for a minute. First, consider the crimes, those things I listed. And by the way, that was the PG version because we might have a kid or two that stayed in the room and, and didn't go. Uh, it, it's also close to lunchtime. I don't want to ruin your appetites. Go back and read the specific crimes of these nations and you'll see that God's judgment, it, it, it's right on the mark here. But then second, realize something else about the judgment of God. Whenever you hear it announced in Scripture, there's a dynamic in play. Now, God is almighty, right? Are we agreed on that? God can do what he wants in an instance. There is no limit to his power. If God just wanted to, 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 to wipe them out, he'd just do it. But God speaks to them first. And there's a reason for that. Whenever God rebukes, whenever God speaks a word of judgment, you know what it is? First of all, it's the people that won't listen to anything else. It is the call of God. It is actually invitation from God to repent. God is actually speaking to these nations that, uh -oh, I mean, they're just so defiled. But, but he's saying, turn to me and live. Come to me. I mean, this is God reaching out to them. This is the God of love, opening a door for them to avoid condemnation. So this isn't awful of God. This is actually awesome of God to give them this chance. All right, so we get through chapter two and we continue to read and we realize something else, that this is not just a word of judgment against Israel's neighbors and against these other nations. We go on to find out that this judgment involves the people of God. So, okay, understand this. As, as Israel's sitting back, okay, so after, right, right around chapter two, Israel's sitting back and they're enjoying what God has to say, right? 
get them, God. You know, they're high-fiving, they're cheering, they're jeering at their, at, the, at their enemies here. As they're doing, suddenly God now turns his words to them. And his tone does not change at all. But the subject matter changes quite a bit for the people of God. We remember that they are enjoying a time of prosperity. They're enjoying a time of peace economically, politically, socially, spiritually. Everything's clicking. They feel like they are just killing it. You know, they're feeling like a lounge singer singing blue skies, right? Nothing do I see but blue skies around me. But, But what we find out as we go forward is that all of this is actually just on the surface. They look really good on the outside, but the people of God are actually guilty of great sin themselves. And the great sin that that they are guilty of is actually one of the oldest sins around. So this is Garden of Eden kind of sin, and it is that in their prosperity and in their comfort In their easy times, they have, you can probably guess, forgotten the Lord. They've just forgotten God. And and, and we see here that they have drifted away, and they are in violation of the greatest command in Scripture. Now, you might say, well, Steve, how do you know it's the greatest command? Well, I know it's the greatest command because that's what Jesus calls it. In Matthew 22, listen to this, 36 through 40, Jesus identifies the greatest command and the second command. You've heard this before. But a teacher of the law comes up to Jesus, and he asks him, Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? In all of Scripture, from from Torah to everything that's being written right, what is the greatest command? Jesus replies, and you know his reply. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. That's how we know. But he goes on to say, and the second one is much like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then if we, we, we don't get how big it is there, Jesus adds this to the end. All the law and all the prophets Hang on those two commands. That is huge. All of Scripture, all of Scripture is right here. It's all about this. And so what God's people have done is is they've put on a good show, but as we read, we discover that they're not loving God with all they are. You know, it's a case of, of singing the right words, saying the right words, reciting the right words, praying all the right stuff, preaching all the right stuff, but their hearts are far away. Because as we look a little deeper, we find out that many of these people who are, man, they're tearing it up on Sunday morning, many of them actually have other idols in their lives that they're worshiping on the side. Many of them, Amos says, are disobeying God's word and making up elaborate excuses why. And here's one of the excuses in Amos, that they're actually using this scripture over here to explain why they're disobeying this scripture over here. It doesn't work. It's a problem. They've also, from time to time, have forbidden prophets who come to speak to them in the name of the Lord. A prophet will show up with a challenge. Well, they've silenced them in the church. Even in Amos, they do this to Amos. The king orders them, we don't want to hear any more of your challenges from God. We don't want to hear any more of your corrective words. 
And then finally, even with the priests and the leaders, Mark, Neil, let's take this to heart. Please, let's take this to heart. But the priests and the leaders, they have become corrupt. These guys are taking bribes on the side, and they're living a very different life than the the, the message that they are preaching. So that's violation number one. The second one, though, involves fellow man. They are violating the command to love others around them. Specifically, we find out that, first of all, as they're enjoying their prosperity, they are the only ones enjoying their prosperity. Many of these children of God, they are hoarding the resources that God has given them. In other words, they are neglecting the poor. There's a needy world. There are hungry people all around them, but they're looking after number one. They're looking after themselves and theirs, and and that's it. Um, We also find out that in the name of me first, they are denying justice to the innocent. And by the way, that's a big theme in society right now that we, the church, need to wake up to. Justice for the innocent. This is a problem with the people of God then. They're also refusing to fight for and be a voice for and a champion for the helpless and the voiceless. And so this is, is, is a violation of the second greatest commandment from God's people, and God's not having it. And so what he does here is just like with the pagan nation, God speaks a judgment against his people. And for me, as I read this all, all the last few weeks, it was even more chilling for me to read the judgment against his people than it was the pagan nations. I mean, first of all, the, the judgment against the pagan nations lasts about uh, a chapter and a half. The judgment against his people lasts seven and a half chapters. But understand that as God speaks this word against his people, he is doing the same thing that he is doing for the neighbors of Israel. He is calling his people back. Turn to me. Turn away from, from this self-indulgence. Come to me and be restored. It is an invitation. Amos, I'll just give you a couple of examples. Amos 5.4, God says to his people, seek me now and live. Verse 6, seek the Lord and live. 5.14, seek good and not evil that you may live. Amos 5.15, hate evil, love good, maintain justice. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will turn and have mercy. And so you see through all of this, and I know sometimes God just gets typecast as this angry, vengeful God is just wearing smite boots all the time. But what you see here is that God's heart is breaking for his people, for all people. God is reaching out to his people to all people, beckoning with them. And this is a message he gives in this book that will make them or break them depending on their response. So that is Amos. And if you're like me, you finish hearing all that or reading all that, and you think, whoo, thank God that was then and this is now. Thank God that was them and not us. But listen, there's a lot we can learn from the book. There is so much that we the people of God can take to heart. And I know sometimes we do this, you know. We, we read a book in the Old Testament, we think, well, you know what, there aren't any camels around anymore. You know, uh, I, I mean, we're not all wearing robes, so hey, that was then. There's so much here for us. Here are a couple things today. Number one, the lesson. Number one lesson, okay? 
And I know we know this in the church, but we need to hear this in the church all the time. I need to hear this as a pastor. Our God is sovereign. We need to know that. Our God rules over everything. Listen, I challenge you to remember that when you get scared. You know, when you think it's all falling apart, our God rules. Our God reigns. Our God is in control. He is, right? Nothing's changed. And, and just as our God created all, our God will judge all. And I, listen, I don't care. I looked at USA Today. Oh, my gosh, this morning. But listen, I don't care what the headlines say. I don't care which way society is leaning. I don't care what politicians do. There is one benevolent, loving, powerful God who is over all for all times. There is. And so for you and me, what does that mean? Well, well, listen, what it means is that he calls us to love him first. He calls us to get get lost in an abundant life of worship and servants and, and obedience. Nothing has changed. The second thing is this. And we, we, we really need this in the church, and I think the church is beginning to get it. But, Lord, today, if it's, if it's not ingrained, if it's not etched, may we get this. Point number two, our God absolutely cares for the least, the lost, the outsider, the needy, and the helpless. This has always been his heart. God is the redeemer, the rescuer, the restorer, the helper of those on the outside. And I know sometimes in the church we think like, you know, sometimes we, we, we can get this feeling of, hey, you know, we're the good ones. We got God. The blessing is all ours. God always meant for you and I to take all of this and to bless and to love and to make a difference. And I thank God for every social, you know, uh, uh, business out there. I mean, but listen, the church ought to be leading the way. We are the ones, and we are called to embrace a life of love and service that is not so much about us, learn from Amos, but in larger part, it is about them. You know, so often in the church, we want to evangelize people. We want to tell people about Jesus. The heart of God has always been that we would go, and we would serve, and we would bless, and the doors would open for people to hear the gospel. That, that really is the point here of Amos. And so we in the church have got to understand that a whole lot of religious activity does not give us the right to live selfishly. It never gives us the right to, to, to forget about those who are without, those who are needy. In the church, we cannot ignore suffering. We must not ever ignore injustice. Because see, one of the things that jumps out in Amos, and this is for us, Despite all the hard language, one of the things that comes to us is the kindness of God. You you know, why is God so upset in Amos? It's fueled by love. It's fueled by his kindness. The book of Amos is littered with the mercy of God, the action of God, the compassion of God. God is saying to his people, clearly through this book, take what I've done for you. And do it for them. Take this love I have given you and just pay it forward everywhere you go. Have open eyes to see who's in need around you. You know, as I read, thank you, Colin. <laughs> as I read Amos, I kept thinking of Micah 6 8 all throughout my studies, which says this He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? 
to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So let me end by saying something to you today as your pastor. As a pastor of KPC, I can just be y'all's temporary pastor for a minute, all right? But let me just say something to you as a pastor, as your pastor, okay? So this is for KPC. Get ready. You're going to be encouraged. I want you to know this as your pastor. In, in light of Amos, I am so proud of this church. I am so proud of the ways you historically and presently are saying yes to the Lord when it comes to your neighbors and your community. I'm going to list a few things. I'm going to brag for just a minute, if that's all right. If it's not, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway, all right? Listen, I do rejoice. Here's why. Y'all jumped into this campaign for the unborn without a hesitation. It, the, the, the response, and listen, this is, the, these, these, this is for the voiceless, for the helpless. You guys jumped in. I mean, those bottles disappeared so fast, I had to go steal one from somebody in the parking lot. It, it was incredible just the way you were saying yes to people in need. Here's another way. Ba- out in the back, I do not know how long that food pantry's been going. Y'all have been feeding the hungry and putting clothes on the backs of people for decades in this church. You know, you didn't have to wait for me to preach this. You have been doing it. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's different. It's beautiful. Recently, so many of you have gone out to the trailer park, um, wrapping pipes for the winter, winterizing, helping with practical needs, sharing Jesus Christ with folks. I, I, I love it. I mean, we just started that, and we got scores of people going out. Here's another one, deacons. I'll go ahead and point y'all. I'm going to call out the deacons right now. You guys form the Samaritan team. Do y'all know what the Samaritan team is? It's, it's a group of deacons and a bunch of other men who are available. They just go out in the community where there are people who cannot afford a handyman, whether it's a widow or someone who just doesn't have the money. They have rebuilt fences and cleaned up yards and fixed roofs. It's beautiful. Getting involved lately with Union Mission the way you have as a church. Helping the homeless. I am so proud of this church, but I also want to say this as a cautionary tale. That is a great start. There's more to do. There is more to do. There's more to do in this area. I want to encourage you as a church to keep on keeping on. And don't ever, don't ever make the mistake of going, well, you know, there's only three or four or 500 of us. Look at what Gideon did with 300. Y'all, we could ransack this community for Jesus if we choose. Keep up the good work. Take the next step. We want to be a people, a church that never substitutes religion for relationship with God and relationship with the world. We don't ever want to do that. And listen, we're going to live up to our tagline. We want to be a church that cultivates a passion for God that results in the compassion for the world around us. A church that reflects God's heart of love and salvation. And so listen, as a lot of our society, and and I'll I'll say this, too many of our churches, we're getting angry over whatever's popping up in the headline or whatever politically is going on. I say, let's just flush that as a church. And let's be a force of love and good and proclamation of Jesus Christ. Because listen, this was always meant to be about his kingdom and not our kingdom or our little empire. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Let me pray for us, 
And listen, at the end of the service, if you need individual prayer, uh, we have prayer folks who, will, will, they'll be right here. They'd love to meet you. So let's pray together. I'll invite y'all to stand. And I got to thank y'all one more time. Man. Oh. Father, we love you and we praise you. And I just, I'm reminded of the words of Tom Skinner, one of the, the great, uh, one of the great preachers, greatest preachers of the 20th century, who said that it's at the cross of Jesus Christ that all people come together. There is no division of race and, uh, Lord God, uh, economic status and, and prestige and all of that. Father, I pray that we would be a church that, uh, Father God, we are gathering at the cross and nowhere else that we are about the resurrection, the salvation, the goodness of our God. I thank you, Lord, that you have called KPC to be a force, and not a force unto itself, not to build numbers and, and be the biggest and best thing in this area, but, Lord, to be a force for you. And so, God, we, we give you our hearts today, and, Lord, we just say where our hearts are hard, would you soften them? Father God, where, where we're selfish, and, Lord, you hit me with this all week long, where there's selfishness, I just pray that you would bring a death to our flesh. I thank you, God, for the gift of one another that we don't have to step out alone for Jesus. We got a whole family that we can do good with. And so, God, just take this message and, God, cause it to be like fire within our bones, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, God, let us be uh, just, just those who live out their faith. And live it out there in the world. God, we love you. We honor you. Father, I pray for this choir today, too, that came to bless us. God, I just ask you to just anoint them, especially for this concert this afternoon. Lord, I thank you for the joy that they bring. Oh, God, the talent that is in them. And we just pray that they would have an incredible concert this afternoon. Thank you, Lord. They went out of their way to bless us today. Father, would you bless them in Jesus' name. In Christ's name we pray, amen, because I could keep on praying. Love y'all, God bless you. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.